Give me a bottle of anything and a glazed donut to go. This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fazzolo and Kirik McMillan. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. I'm here today with my co-host, Nick Fasolo. Many of you don't know that Nick was darn near death recently, and and he wasn't ashamed to admit to me that he'd had syphilis. Thank God he stopped it in its tracks. Takes a lot of lot for a man to admit how and where he got it. Thank you, Sammy. All right, Two Idiots on a List is on for another episode. Today, we're going to talk about the band Van Halen. Fun little walk down memory lane for me, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I, I really, it's not part of my, my normal cycle of listening. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting walk down memory lane. That's for sure. Uh, it's been a long time since I've listened to Van Halen, and I was able to dig out some, uh, some fun tracks here. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this. When you think about Van Halen, Nick, where does that bring you? immediately to like middle school and high school like that that pocket right yep, there 100 percent. yeah their plateau hit me right at like what i consider to be their plateau hit me right at like seventh grade to like junior year in high school and it's always like their other albums have always kind of been just like always there just always, you know, it's always been around. Like, and again, like I always go back to like MTV, like all the videos that I've seen, and like their videos were amongst the ones that stand out, oh, right? Hot for Teacher, Jump, uh, even that shitty remake they did of that Roy Orbison song <laughs> uh, that actually got banned from MTV, and I couldn't figure out why. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was banned, and I don't know why. I didn't care that much to go into it. I just remember seeing it. I'm like, oh, this this has to be directed by Diamond Dave, and sure shit, it yeah. was. Their videos were incredible. You know, as I as I looked at their stuff, some of their albums have more cover songs than others, and and I think one or two of them don't have any. Maybe three of them, uh, at least in the in the DLR era. I think the the Sammy era they were more. Uh, on the original side, they did more covers with Dave. I mean, that brings me to kind of my first point. It's like, for all that, like, the, the acclaim and the fame that Van Halen reached, this was, like, the laziest fucking band there was. Like, look at how their, their, their first album, especially with, with, uh, with, with David Lee Roth. Like, 35-minute album for Van Halen 1. Van Halen 2 was 31 And they recorded the first one in five days. Yeah, yeah. And Van Halen 2 took like three weeks to record. And then like Women and Children First is 33 minutes. Fair warning, 31 minutes. Diver Down, 31 minutes for a fucking album. (laughs) That's nine songs. They're doing three-minute songs, half of which are fucking covers. Others are like weird Western, like 
bullshit things that like, sure which was also a cover right happy trails was a cover and and it's a darn catchy one. Oh, please i'm <laughs> i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna come over come over the top on that a little bit so you think about like a cover band it's lazy music right there's no creativity to it all it is is rote memorization and right. sure, it's a it's a way to to show your skill in playing an instrument, the mechanics of playing an instrument. But the true musical talent really is that in a cover band? I don't know. I would argue no. I've been in a cover band. Uh, our catalog was like forty or forty five songs or fifty songs. <laughs> you know, that's that's a shitload of music. And all I did was listen to the the song over and over and over again until I knew exactly what that bass line was, and I just coughed it back out. It was nothing but straight rote memorization. Now, look at what Van Halen did with these songs. They, They didn't just cover the song. They actually transformed it without bastardizing the original. I would argue that their version of You Really Got Me is a thousand times better than what the Kinks put out. They did Pretty Woman. They did uh, they did Dancing in the Street, which is a Marvin Gaye tune, and it's great. Yeah, but it's a protest song. <laughs> like that Dancing in the Street is a protest song for the Civil Rights Movement, and I don't think Diamond Dave knew that. I, I'm sure like, he didn't. He didn't sing it like that. I'm sure he didn't. It certainly doesn't sound like it when you hear it, but I think it's a great cover. I I really like that song. That that that's a great cover. So I would argue that while, yes, they did cover stuff, they they wrote it in a way that made it their own, which I think takes some, that's a challenging thing to do. You know, when you know a song the way it was written, and then you have the ability to pull yourself back from that and then churn it out as something different, I, not everybody can do that. That's not easy to do. I don't know. I, just, I think you're giving them way too much credit. I mean, the, 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 the You Really Got Me is just, you're taking a very good original song by the Kinks and you're running it through Eddie Van Halen's amp and his big-ass guitar playing. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't see I didn't see why it was such a big hit then. And I like when, when it comes on, like people, oh, I don't, I don't fucking like it. I don't like, I, and, and just going through their catalogs, like I was really like, oh yeah, I remember these songs. And I remember like, like there's just no there there. I just did. There's not a lot of like, they're just a good rock yeah, band. There's, they're okay. They're this fine. This isn't depth music. This isn't music that's going to swallow you up and, and make you thoughtful about the world. It's TNA music. It's, yeah, it just didn't, I guess it just doesn't hold up to, like, sensibilities of, you know, as as we grew older and, you know, here we are approaching our 50s and it's just like, I look back on it, it's fine, it's good. You know, if it's at a barbecue or if it's, you know, comes on while you're playing golf or whatever, it's like, yeah, it's okay. But it's not like, like, everybody just, just jerks eddie van halen off like he's some sort of virtuoso it's like if he was a true virtuoso he wouldn't live in a universe where joe satriani lived and steve Vai and you know eric johnson like those guys shouldn't have been around if he was a true virtuoso like those guys were doing the same thing and and arguably even better like david lee roth shouldn't have been able to turn around and say i'm dropping van halen and the very next month hook up with steve Vai and um Oh, who's the bassist? Uh, Billy Sheehan, Billy Sheehan. And, you know, and make a band, make a band as good as Van Halen. Like Eat 'Em and Smile is as good as any other Van Halen album, and Skyscraper is just fucking awesome. <laughs> Skyscraper is a good album. There's some great songs on it. Love it. I think when when you think about someone going from where they were and then breaking loose, leaving the band, breaking loose and doing their own solo stuff. 
he churned out a couple of really good albums, and then it it, it falls off pretty quickly after that. There's the, the but then he became Vegas Dave. Yeah, yeah, Cabaret Dave. And nobody needs that. If DLR, and for those of you listening, we're going to abbreviate David Lee Roth as DLR quite a bit in this pod, I'm sure. If you think about DLR, and if he was born in the early 1900s as a female, he would be <laughs> in a, a big, fluffy, frilly hoop dress on a on a vaudeville cabaret stage. You know, that kind of thing. But, or, or he's on a, a gigantic inflatable mice. Or, you know, like a huge giant surfboard surfing out over the crowd. And I think that's kind of like what Van Halen and David Lee Roth kind of like why they didn't mix. Yep. Because you got two peacocks running around in the same yard and they're going to kill each other. Because only one can be the, the outstanding person. And I think that Eddie Van Halen for, you know, it's like he's a fairly shy person as I take it. And, you know, kind of under, under assuming and David Lee Roth just comes in and is like, yeah, I want to do fucking ice cream, man. And I want to do fucking uh, bombardita. And, and Eddie Van Halen is probably shaking his head. It's like, oh, fuck it. We need, we, we got to fill out another 10 minutes of this 30 minute album. So I guess let him do his shit. But he probably fucking hated oh, it. I, I think you're right. And I clearly... Clearly, Eddie had his own ego churning here, right? Both of those guys, both Sammy and Dave, were with Van Halen for 11 years and then split. Yeah. It's like the seven-year itch with Eddie and his lead singer. Yeah. And he says, okay, your ego is getting larger than my ego, and I'm not going to have that. Yes. And if you listen to what Michael Anthony did in that band, you know, if you're going to learn to play the bass... Learn from listening to Van Halen because it's all quarter notes. There's really nothing that he's doing of any significant skill, but not not much going right. On but there. when you listen to some of his stuff that he's done after Van Halen, he was in a band called Chicken Foot, which is a stupid yeah. name for a stupid band. Uh, but his I think it was Satriani. Uh, it was Satriani. It was uh, the drummer from the Chili Peppers, Sammy, and. I think there might have been uh, there might have been a fifth in there. I don't know, but uh, anyhow, his bass lines in that in those songs are a little more intricate. And I think what was happening was Eddie was going, "Hey, listen, asshole! There is one star in this band, yes. And the only reason I'm letting Dave do what he does is because he's got the looks and he's got the attitude and he's got you know the other things that are gonna that are gonna put female butts in these seats. You're not doing that. Well, play he has here. personality, yeah, and you're not doing that with your. Uh, with Jack Daniels bass. The Jack Daniel bass? Yeah. No. And your off-key backup singing? God damn. Oh, I loved his backups. His every, backups bring a lot to the table. Fucking song. Come on. It's horrible. It's it's probably the reason why I really am not I don't like Van Halen that much, especially in like in this in this era that the, the DLR era, these whatever they were, they've um, one, two, three, six albums that they put out, but the, ironically is they put it all together in 1984, and when you look at the, the album 1984, it's almost a perfect album. Yeah, it's very close up. It's like they got six really solid songs. They really like they do last a long time. You know, they 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 stand stand the test of time, and and it's like 1984 was a was a near perfect album. I agree, and it was only 33 fucking minutes long. And they wrote all of it, with the exception of one song that they got help from Michael McDonald on. Uh, which I, love I that. think was I'll oh, wait. wait. Yes, I, I love that. I have no idea how he ever got a writing credit. On I, it, I wish. But I, I, just, I wish they would have used him for backing vocals. Oh, wait. Yeah, <laughs> I try to imagine Michael McDonald in that song. <laughs> it's like the only song that he wasn't on in the eighties. 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really something that they brought him in there. All right, well, let's jump into this. Let's do it. Let's start. You want to start it off? You want me to start it off? You know, I'll start off with my honorable mention. You know, I went back and forth a lot on this, like because they're they do have five really good songs, right? It's in in my to my yep. to my liking. But uh, my uh, my uh, honorable mention is uh, Unchained. I love the banter in between uh, Dave and the producer. Yep. Um, you know, whatever it was staged or whatever. It's just perfect. When I heard it, like, you know, so most of Van Halen's earlier stuff came to me after 1984 because as soon as 1984 hit, you know, the radio started playing more and more Van Halen stuff. And, like, that's when, like, Unchained, like, I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 probably when I first heard it. It's just a cool way to, 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 to uh, sing a song and to tell a story through a song or whatever story you're talking about but like the banter between dave and the producer i just i love it that that's probably the coolest you know 10 seconds of the the whole song that i like this was my number two wow You've, no you you pinched me right off the bat uh <laughs> i like the uh the the it's got a great beat great driving beat a uh, little bit of offset syncopation in the bridge um it's a really kind of atypical solo for eddie yeah. You know, a lot of his solos sort of mimic that uh, eruption format of, you know, it's finger tapped, a lot of harmonics. He doesn't do that in this. He, he bounces it around yeah. uh, a bit more. The, the backing mm-hmm. vocals that between both Michael Anthony and Eddie, uh, I think, work really well. And you can hear Eddie's voice a little better in this song than you can in others, because, as you said before... Mike's got this high-pitched, somewhat off-kilter backing sound, and Eddie, when when the band started as Mammoth, Eddie was the original vocalist before they right. encountered DLR. You can hear Eddie's voice a little better in this song than, than some of the others. It's like they, they mixed him up a little bit. Right. And then that, that whole spoken vocal breakdown between DLR and Ted Templeman, their producer. <laughs> yeah. oh, come on, Dave, give me a break. It's fantastic. It's it's really good stuff. Yeah, it's great. Good stuff. And that's that's all Roth. Yes. That's all David. And that's what he brought to this band, and that's why this band is so cool. And, you know, I, like, I play guitar, and I love guitars, and I like good guitar work, but, like, that's not why Van Halen is, is a cool band. Like, Van Halen is a cool band because of DLR. Like, he just made it yeah. cool. Like, he's, he's one of the best frontmen ever. I would agree. And it's we've talked about this on some other shows. Uh, it's a it's a long and rich debate over who is the best. I don't know that I would say it's DLR, but no. I would say he's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, and and I think what he brings to the table is his ability to drop vocal hoots and hollers in a superbly effective way. Yeah, and a lot of that's only really just what he does is. Well, that that's how he talks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you ever heard like a, a an extended interview with him, I heard him on a podcast once. I I couldn't I couldn't listen for more than about ten minutes. He just drove me crazy. You can't take it. And then if you've ever heard the only interview I've ever a long form interview with Eddie Van Halen I've ever heard was with Howard Stern, and 
let me tell you something. Those two guys, take David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen together, I wouldn't be able to stand it for five fucking minutes. It's amazing that they got six albums done and they got back together yeah. because those guys, those two guys are on such different wavelengths, but they are nonstop. They don't stop fucking around and fiddling and fidgety. Like Eddie Van Halen didn't spend five seconds in the chair when he was talking to Howard. He's fucking around with his guitar and his amps and shit. Even Howard was like on the air. He's like, Eddie, can you sit down for five seconds? I want to talk to no, you. No, I think oh, you could God. argue both of them have a, a good sturdy dose of ADD. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. That brings us right, to uh, my honorable mention. Oh, he is. Yeah, sorry. I'm no sorry. worries. Yep. That brings us to my honorable mention. Uh, I'm going to go... As uh, we've already mentioned uh, his solo work, I'm going to go with Yankee Rose. Why? Well, let me roll up onto the sidewalk and take a look. Yes. Whoa. She's beautiful. I'm talking about a Yankee Rose. <laughs> what kind of bullshit is I that? I love Yankee Rose. Hey, we're talking about Van Halen and anything associated with Van Halen. Right, so I'm I'm dropping Yankee Rose right, as my honorable mention. You know, he he recorded this. He recorded Crazy from the Heat while he was still with Van Halen. It's all covers, and it still went platinum. And it's not even particularly good. You know, we talked about Van Halen's ability to transform covers already. He didn't really do a whole lot of transformation in this. He just kind of spits them back out. But Eat Him and Smile is, I believe, almost entirely original work. And it's a hell of a solo debut. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, and the band that he pulled together was was really talented. Steve Vai, Greg Bissonette, Billy Sheehan. Yeah. Those these are guys that, that were veterans in the music industry and had established careers. And it makes sense, right? DLR's coming off of nineteen eighty four and then he does Crazy from the Heat. So he's a big, a big, big name in the music industry at that point, and he's able to pull in talent like that. Yeah. And Vi's work throughout the whole song is great. You know, that that beginning with him doing the back and forth to start the song, you know, wow, wow, what? You know, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. And and Vi's, Vi's solos in the song are great. He really, Vi, I, when you really dig into what he did, I, I'm impressed with Steve Vi's capabilities. And this whole song is just dripping with DLR and his essence. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Raise him up there and let's see who salutes, baby. You know, it's just, it's fantastic. Uh, It's a great great song to sing along to live. I saw him, uh, I saw Van Halen, I think, two or three times. And then I saw DLR two or three times uh, in solo. And he's he's fun to watch. And this, this video, you know, when this video hit, it was huge, yeah. and it was huge because it was funny. Like the beginning, I don't know if you remember this video, but the beginning is like it, it's all shot in like a like a like a Pakistani convenience store, and it's just various people rolling through on these little vignettes. There's like the the one you know overweight woman's. Uh, my doctor says I have to take a laxative. Not in my store, you don't. Can you help me? Not in my store, you don't. <laughs> oh, it's just, it, it cracks me up. I don't know how PC it is today, but it's 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 funny. And then the rest of the video is, you know, it's pure DLR. It's nothing from him but high kicks and waving yeah. his ass in the camera. The samurai kicks. Yeah. And, and, you know, him and, his, him and his sword dancing around. Right, riding around in a giant phallic inflatable microphone. So I'm a fan of that tune. I'm a fan of that album. 
All right, what do you got for number five? All right, so number five uh, is coming off of uh, fifty one fifty, I think. Yeah, it's the fifty the the first album with with uh, Hagar, yep. and uh, it is uh, Summer Nights, and uh, I just like this tune because I think like like we were talking about before, it's like this was this this came out in March of eighty six, so I was in eighth grade, just you know about ready to graduate, and um, this album then had kind of stuck around it was an extremely popular album because everybody had waited for this album I, I can remember the day it came out what the day looked like and it was a spring day it was a little uh a little chilly but it was like you know i had my mom drive me to kmart to go and get it because like we had been waiting for this album because this was the new van halen album with the new guy how's it gonna be and like when we charged through the whole things like this is the summit for van halen is in my opinion like this is the top of their arts and their craft and they're just they sounded great it sounded awesome van halen you know i think he finally put it together like his tapping stuff kind of like was was kind of like his calling card but he never knew really what to do with it in a song and then i think he figured it all out he put it and then he started to put it in with his solos and it made a lot more sense when he was you know he wasn't just just a you know in a minute and a half of eruption with it but he would he would put it into like his his other solos in, in this album in particular and I think it actually came from, um, what was it, the, the jump solo. Now, the jump solo is not a guitar solo, it's a keyboard solo. Right. But if you listen to that keyboard solo, it's basically what he does with finger tapping. You know, it's that rolling chord thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that they kind of, like, figured out, like, oh, shit, I can put this into, like, my guitar solos into the songs, and they make a lot more sense. And uh, I just like Summer Nights because it's kind of like, you know, it's an old fuck-around, you know, summer song, you know. I agree. I, I really like that song, too. That, that song kind of reminds me of being in... In high school, of of goofing around with uh, you and the rest of the guys that we were hanging around with, yeah, burning time, uh, you know, up to no good, and and yeah. it's it's a great tune. And, and you're right about that album. That album, you think about the the potential for how that could have gone, right? You you've just rolled off of six or seven albums with the same guy who is the face of your band, yeah, and he left. And now you've got to replace him, and you replace him with somebody who was a known commodity. But I don't know that. I mean, the Red Rocker. I, I, I had no interest in his solo career. Three Lockbox, uh, Can't Drive Fifty Five. You know, it was it was lame. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of uh, his his solo album before he hooked up with Van Halen was VOA voice of america uh and uh i took a listen to that before uh we did this pod and uh listen it's it's hagar it's you know it's it's good it's it's okay it's it's all right it's right in line with van halen shit right like any one of those songs could be plopped onto any one of those van halen songs at the time and it would just be it would have been done done just fine like, hagar was a, you know he was a professional working you know it's definitely a a known commodity in the rock in the rock world and for yeah it was a huge it was a it was a huge gamble, I guess, and not only to have the supernova of your band leave, and then hook up with another band and put out another album like right around the same time. It's like I was all for it. It was good. It was about both of those albums, Fifty One Fifty, and Eat 'Em and Smile are, are two of those albums that kind of fuse into this, you know, this this time period. Of, yeah. You know, in between, I, I guess it's like high school era. Yeah, and I think when you think about the the debut with with Hagar. It's a, it's a really, really good album. 
and the next album, OU812, is a pretty good album, but not as good as the next one. And then they they really kind of fall off a cliff for me. I didn't. I, I had everything through uh, the Fuck album, and right. uh, I think I spun the Fuck album maybe six times. I really. It just. And I think my musical tastes were changing, and I was getting into other things like grunge and and alternative uh and indie and all these other things so it just it just i was outgrowing my like for that style of music but uh this was a great album yeah for sure all right my number five uh i am going into the older halen here and i'm going with somebody get me a doctor Come on. This is an awesome, grandiose Van Halen performance. It starts out huge. Giant drum and guitar hits and rolling cymbals. Huge vocal choruses in the middle of it. There's like uh, an extended cymbal rollout at the end with Eddie, you know, running out on these chords. Got a big trash ending. Uh, It's just a great rock song. It's not a nothing deep, nothing heady. I always, I always dug this song, but you're gonna find my top five is cheated much more towards uh, towards Dave than Sam. I'm sure there's no surprise there. This song made my list too, but it's not the top five list. You end the song with "Somebody Give Me a Shot." Somebody give me a shot. It's hard to beat that. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Hey, listen, it's your list. Right? That's it's right. List. All right, what you got for number four? Number four comes off of. Um, 5150 again, I think. <laughs> uh, it's dreams. In my view, the beds of this song that are laid down by the synths are the best ones that they have. And, you know, he's a talented, very talented keyboardist, right? And uh, classically trained and stuff like that. Dreams is just one of those, you know, it's it's a great song. I, I like the soaring aspect of it. Um, you know, again, the music video. And these, these songs and the videos kind of, like, fuse in my brain. Um, and at, at the time, music video, I think Top Gun was still out and or was out. And this out video was, you know, the Blue Angels, yeah, Blue Angels. doing their thing. And, and uh, you know, it just, like, whoever had put the f- footage of that music together, who had edited, you know, the, the video really did, did a great job with it because it sold the song. It worked. Sure. It really and did. It, just, it worked. The, the guitar solo in it has his signature, you know, it's, it's unquestionably a, a Van Halen solo. It has a finger tapping in it, but it, it's so much better kind of, like, it's smoothed out more. Yeah, it's not like, hey, I'm going to do my finger tapping thing now. Everybody take a listen. Like, it's not that anymore. It's kind of like it's in there, but it's like, oh, it just pops up. He does it for a little while, then he moves on, and it just it's it's well crafted solos. I think that's why I really appreciate that. Song. It's kind of a unique song for them. Yeah, like, there's not a lot of of songs that they do in this in kind of a an easier vein. Um, now, there's there's rhythm in this. I mean, it moves. It's not a it's not a sleepy song, 
but but it is it's it's keyboard based uh it has um but it but it breaks into some heavier heavier parts and i agree when i think of that song i think about the video too i think about the blue angels and i wonder how that works like did the government pay it's like the nfl right the government pays the nfl to do the flyover I wonder if uh, I wonder if they paid Van Van Halen to be part of this. They got a big budget for um, you know public relations. Top Gun was one of them. Like Top Gun was the biggest, the best recruiting thing the U.S. Navy um, sure. ever did. Right? Everybody wanted to be a naval a- aviator after that that movie. Um, and I'm sure that this budget, you know, that they they pulled some of that budget from that. If if that footage was shot specifically for Van Halen, and I don't know if it was. Right. That. Right. Not, it's good, good song, good video. And it's it's one of the songs that I I don't mind Alex Van Halen being a part of this band. Usually, I just if I don't like the song, it's because his fucking drums are the same fucking rhythm, everything. And then this song is a little bit different, and it's not as annoying as other things. So I guess Alex Van Halen didn't annoy me in this song, which is why it's red rose to the top of the list. probably one of the more overrated drummers out there, and. I, you know, could you have put a better sounding overrated? Band? Holy shit! The only reason he's in the band is, you know, it's because his, his brother is, is Eddie. Yeah, and, and that begs the question, right? Could you have could you have put out a better sounding product with a different drummer? Like you put in, I don't know, Phil Collins, Neil Peart, John Bonham. Would would it have been different? I don't think I, so. I don't know that it makes that much of a difference, right? This music is fairly basic. It's guitar rock. That's all it is. Yeah, it, I think going back to your point, it's like, hey, Eddie said, like, this is my band, it's my music. Shut the fuck up. Just, just lay down. Just the the, the skosh of of a, of a rhythm. That's all I need from you. And be quiet about it, <laughs> Michael. We're gonna unplug your fucking bass if I have to. <laughs> They, I, I'm sure they wanted to have Mike on those those wires that they used in some of the videos so that they could just lift him off the stage <laughs> yeah, if, if need be. Yeah, we're done with him. All right, press uh, cable A. Yeah, lift him. He's gone. <laughs> All right, my number four. I am again going back into the into the DLR days. I think this one is off of uh, Women and Children first, but I'm not sure. I'm going with In a Simple Rhyme. Part of the fact that it's it's more of a love song than the sort of Predators anthem that that Van Halen music tends to be. You know, most of their stuff sounds like DLR is peeking through a keyhole into a locker room. Yeah. Uh, this this had a little different um, feel to it. It's it's uh, it drops into you know kind of a groove with these with these great backing vocals and then moves into a fast solo and then finishes with another almost, I don't know, ethereal vocal breakdown. 
and then the very end is like this weird jam out that lasts like 20 seconds. It has nothing to do with the song. I don't know why they threw that on there. I, maybe they felt like, you know, 29 minutes and 40 seconds was just too <laughs> short for the album. So they had to throw on another 20 second filler. I, I don't know. Uh, the, the bass line on this is a little more involved for Michael Anthony, Anthony than most. Uh, as we were saying, Eddie appeared to keep Michael on a, on a fairly short leash. Uh, and I, I don't really have a really great reason other than I just like this song. Uh, that that it's that it's my number four. It just always spoke to me whenever I heard it. So there you go. Hmm. I, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever heard that song. And maybe I have, and I just don't know the name of it. But does it, nothing sounds familiar about that. I could sing it to you, but it won't it won't do it justice. Yeah, women and children first, and fair warning, and even dive it down. Like I I, I never touched those albums. I, I know I never bought them, and I'm I don't I I only think I bought Van Halen one maybe. Oh, I had their whole catalog, their whole catalog through yeah. through fuck, and after that I was done. Um, and actually, so I've seen these I've seen these guys, I don't know a total of four to six times out of all the concerts I've been to. It's the only band I've seen where I could sing along verbatim every word to every song. And I haven't actively Hmm. pursued listening to Van Halen since high school. And I saw them in the last, well, I, you and I saw David Lee Roth in at Alpine Valley with Sammy. Uh, Our wives were pregnant with our kids. So that was what, 17 years ago. Uh, 16 to 17 no, years dude. ago. No, no, dude. That was that was the summer of 2002. Okay, so it was... Uh... Yeah, that was fucking 19 fucking years ago. <laughs> that was a great show. I knew every word to that song. <laughs> and you almost got us kicked out. You better tell him you had a bad hot dog. <laughs> Listen, who brings out boiling hot Jägermeister on a 98 degree day <laughs> and starts passing shots around? I want to know. <laughs> It didn't sit well with you. The fuck? <laughs> oh, God. Didn't. I remember walking into the venue, and I I leaned over. I was fucked up, and I leaned over to him. I was like, hey, are you going to do cigarettes? And you looked at me like like a disappointed, not a disappointed, enraged father who had just about had enough, and he looked at me, and you're like, tell me you came to a fucking rock show with no fucking cigarettes. <laughs> you better shape your shit up. And uh, to my credit... Somehow I found this this camel tent. It was a it's a tent put out by Camel Cigarettes, and it was like yeah, they like fed you a, a free pack of, of Camel Wides, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, they would give you a free pack of Camel Wides if you gave gave up your other cigarettes. Which you had now, like I was one a camel left smoker didn't you? at that time. <laughs> yeah, I had one left, and I'm like, fuck it, I need it. So I, camel Wides, what the fuck? I normally don't uh, don't boot. But man, ooh, yeah, something something was up. That Jägermeister just didn't sit well, and I fucking I hurled right on the side of the mountain, man. That was bad. You had a tough you had a ugh. tough run. It was uh, I I vomited all the way through. It was Hagar's set, I believe. Oh, that's the set. To and then I got through. up for David Lee Roth. Yeah, yeah, you did. You you made a little bit of a rebound. Rebounded. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talking <laughs> talk, talking about smoking. You know, you and I are both former smokers. I look at Eddie Van Halen, who obviously just died, uh, what, four months ago, five months ago, something like that. Time is a flat circle nowadays. Yeah, right. It's it's difficult. I think I would be surprised if it was last week. You look at anything, any footage that he had ever, ever, Mm -hmm. he always had a cigarette. He always had a cigarette. It was either in his mouth 
or stuck into the strings uh, above the nut on his guitar. And he always had one burning. In fact, right after he died, I had seen a clip of uh, SNL when Valerie Bertinelli was hosting. And they were still together at the time. And the clip was like dinner at the Van Halen's. It wasn't a terribly funny skit. Mm. That motherfucker had a cigarette burning throughout the skit. Sure. Like he, he couldn't go without having a cigarette for a, a, a skit that lasted probably five minutes. And I think about like the impact that that had on me when I was a, a teenager and started picking up that habit. And I looked at Eddie like, you know, this guy's a, a rock god and he's always smoking. And, and I'm not going to say cool that. As fuck. Yeah, it was cool as fuck. And I'm not, I'm not going to point the finger at, at Eddie as the the single influencer and only reason why I dabbled in tobacco. They were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. Everybody smoked. Yeah, and it made him look that much cooler. And and that did have an effect on me. And, you know, over the years, yeah. I haven't been a regular cigarette smoker for a long, long time. And I would dabble in it here and there when I would have a drink. And when he died, it was like, I don't need this anymore. And I just... I, I yeah. was done with it anyhow, but I just, I don't need yeah. it anymore. And you look at a guy that had the the access to wealth and and the ability to to attack a disease financially better than few others can. Sure. And he still couldn't beat couldn't it. Beat and it. neither could uh, What's-His-Face right. from Apple, right? I mean, money can't cure everything. I mean, but yeah, he just bought a brand new $300,000 Bugatti and shit like that, like. I had a lot to live for. The weird thing is, well, this is not weird thing. It kind of goes to emphasize your points. Uh, right after he died, I pulled out one of my old guitars that's not even has strings on it anymore. And uh, I, we, me and my uh, my twelve year old, we sanded it down and we were going to repaint it like the Frankenstrat because I always thought that that's the coolest looking goddamn guitar I've ever seen. Yep. Just bar none. As far as anything else, he had the coolest looking fucking guitars. Absolutely. And then so I, I went on YouTube and I'm like, okay, I want to do this, you know, kind of right. And so how do you do this? And there's a bunch of different guys out there who've done Frankenstrat, like, you know, um, remakes. And uh, these fuckers are all the way down to the, 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 so they have the taping job. You know, it's a three-stage paint process. You know, they were laid on the black, then the white, and then the... And then the red, but, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're really, really very specific about the tape and like how it's torn off and what type of tape to use. Some of it was gaffer's tape. Others was electrical tape. Some of it was duct tape. So, well, okay. But like, it was funny because at the headstock, they, uh, they, they would go through like, okay, you have to put a burnt cigarette in the, in, in the <laughs> middle of the, the, the tuning pegs and you got to leave it there. Uh, for 45 minutes and it'll burn all the way down and you don't want the burn to be too deep because it wasn't too deep on his guitars and he had four cigarette burns in between the tuning pegs of his of the headstock of his frankenstrat and they got very specific about how long that the the, the, uh, the the burn marks were and everything like that we didn't do that needless to say but uh anyhow yeah he's just he he always had one he, yeah. he was always um, my favorite video of his is they, they took, uh, there's a YouTube concert video of them in Alpine Valley, uh, with Hagar and he's got the pink pants on and they did summer nights and, uh, he goes into eruption after that. And yeah, he's got four cigarettes burning at the same time. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I've never seen such dedication to an addiction of, of cigarettes yeah. like he had, but oh well. All right. That brings us to our number threes. Yeah. Number three song. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shock you. I'm gonna go back to a little bit DLR here, but not, not too far back. Uh, off the 1984, 
uh, Panama. Another great fucking song. Just, I, the, the video is awesome. You know the cops leading DLR out of the, the out of the out of the hotel in a towel. That's the video with them hanging from the wires. Yeah, and the way it starts off, it's like a couple of punches to the face from Eddie Van Halen. You know, in his guitar. Uh, right. It's just great. It just goes off, and it, it just sends you. And it's it's really short. It's like three and a half minutes long, but it's uh, it's a good package of like like all pure testosterone, right? That's kind of like what David Lee Roth sold. No, I I love this song. This was actually my number one. Really? Yeah, this is my number one. Yeah. When I think of Van Halen, I think of this song and I I was introduced to this band by our mutual friend and he introduced me to Van Halen I introduced him to Rush so you can argue all day long whether that's an even trade it was all in the stars boys <laughs> I love I love this song it it has just a it's just a punch in the face kind of heavy guitar riff big vocals driving rhythms there's no keyboards in it and and Eddie wanted more keys. I guess Eddie wanted more keys in Diver Down, which was the album before 1984, but was shot down by David Lee Roth and Ted Templeman, the producer. Now, Templeman has said the reason 1984 uh, was so successful is because it appealed to a broader audience because of the keys. I feel like that's a bit of a stretch, but maybe I'm in denial of the impact that 80s keyboards had on me. I don't know. This song's about a car. It's not about Panama. It's not about a woman. It's about a car. <laughs> it's, not, it's not about the. It's not about the canal. No, no, it's not about the canal. Ain't nothing like it. Her shiny machine got the feel for the wheel. Keep the moving parts clean. It's about a car. It is about a car he saw in Vegas. It's not the car that's in the in the video. I while I was looking into this, I happened to stumble on an auto enthusiast's website. <laughs> they got quite deep in the weeds on Panama and whether or not it was like a 1974 Opal or uh, something else. I'm not that big a car guy. There's actually a couple of engine revs. Yeah, we're running a little bit hot tonight. see the road from the heat coming on where dave sings you know, we're running a little bit hot tonight <laughs> i always thought that it was a hairdryer but <laughs> well it turns out those engine revs eddie had brought his rare 1971 lamborghini to the studio and they recorded him gunning the engine that's where that came from there's your little piece of rock trivia for the day. You know, I, I knew it was not about the country of Panama. <laughs> and I certainly know probably 80% of the lyrics because you can't make out half of them because he mumbles a lot of them. And I knew it had to do with, you know, like keeping the engine clean and shit like that. I just never put it together that it was actually about a car. I didn't either. Now that I know that, like, now it's a little bit of a cooler because I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is Panama? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. Um, I think the car was called like a Panama Dream or something like that. I tried to find what a Panama Dream automobile looked like, and you can't really find it. So I don't know. There's some mystery around uh, around the the whole thing. But <laughs> of course, you know, Dave, as Dave does, he took a song about a car 
and then sexed it up, sexed it up to reaching in between his legs. And I'm surprised there's not a stick shift reference in there. (laughs) All right. That brings me to my number three and my number three. uh, I, I do shift to Sammy on this one. I'm a big fan of best of both worlds. This is my favorite Van Hagar song. Really? Yeah. When I think of this song, I think of I, I think this is the best song off that album, and subsequently the best song that, that they did with Sammy Hagar. You know, the same same reasons I give for for most of these songs: rhythms, you know, driving rhythms, blah blah blah. Here, when you listen to this song, if you listen for it, you can hear Sammy's rhythm guitar on this, and that's something that Van Halen didn't have before because DLR didn't play an instrument. Van Halen never he he didn't overdub his guitars either. No, no, and you can hear it when what you hear is what you get. I'm not going to say it sounds thin because the guy had so many effects on his on his guitar, and, and you know. It was a big guitar sound, but when you've got somebody playing a solo and there's nothing in the background besides bass and drums, it does leave a bit of emptiness that was fine. It worked for what they did, but when you hear Sammy's rhythm guitar in a song like Best of Both Worlds, it just adds another layer of depth that's that's nice. It, it It works great. And it ends with this sort of unison run of Eddie, Michael, and Sammy on guitar sort of mirroring each other all in all it's just a it's it's a great kind of everybody in at the end sort of ending one other thing i i kind of observed on this and i don't know that it's it's specific to just this song i think it's really on the whole album and probably the future ones too i think alex started running his drums through some sort of filter because his drums sound different here than they do on on any of the others and maybe he was running them through a filter on the old one and he just changed it i don't know but could have been a product of the times too i think everybody was doing that you know to get that like that mechanical sound out of their drum heads right you know it's almost that uh, invisible touch kind of i think that because he was working with that sound a lot too and he could piss up a rope as far as I'm concerned. I don't really think much of it. And he was a, he was a saucy drunk, started a lot of shit, uh, couldn't let a lot of shit, personal shit go in the band, kept on pressing for David Lee Roth to, to, to get bumped out. Um, and then he, you know, he, he started shit with Sammy, and Sammy was just like, you know what, I'm fucking done with this. I don't need this shit. I'm going to go down with my $75 million brand of tequila and just... You know, Cabo Wabo, you know, all the way down and do my TV shows. Yeah, I think these guys were all pricks. Yeah. So I read Noel Monk's book. Noel Monk was their uh, road manager from Van Halen 1 through 1984. He writes about the experience of touring with these guys. And it sounds like they were just, and okay, you're, you're in your early 20s. You're the hottest band around you're obviously going to indulge in vices and women. And he, he said at one point there was a river of penicillin running through these guys via uh, injections in the ass because they were picking up social diseases so frequently. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> gross. Oh. What he talks about in that book, he talks about the treatment of Michael Anthony. And essentially what it boils down to is 
they were on the road touring 1984. They were about halfway through the tour and the band wasn't getting along and they turned to pick on Michael Anthony. Why? I don't know. For everything I can tell from, you know, the vantage point of never having met the guy, he seems like a pretty nice guy. He seems like a pretty reasonable, friendly enough. Go-along guy. Yeah, right? There was nothing really that, that you needed to pick on him. And I think what was happening was you had bad dependency issues between cocaine, alcohol, and, and anything else they were taking. You had egos that were super inflated between DLR and Eddie, and they can't pick on Alex because Alex is Eddie's brother. So that kind of leaves right. this this fourth member. They ended up... Yeah talking him into, and I don't know what the coercion was. The captain of the softball team. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the coercion was, but they ended up talking him out of any future revenues relative to songwriting and producing credits retroactive to the 1984 album. Yeah. Now that basically cost Michael Anthony millions. He had, he had a sure. 20% share in Van Halen stock let's say, right? So he had 20% of the of the profits and the losses were Michael Anthony's and they were doing a hell of a lot more profit than loss. The other yeah. fifth went to Noel Monk. Really? So he coughed up that 20% and it cost him millions. And now I think in, in subsequent negotiations, he was able to get some portion of that back, but certainly not what he would have had had he not, uh, you know, coughed it up in the first place. So I think these guys were dicks. Yeah. I think they were aggressive. I think they were arrogant. I think they were badly dependent on a variety of substances. And if you pull that out of there, they'd still be dicks. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Great. All right. So we have rolled through our three. That brings us to our next segment, which is masturbatory fantasy. For an explanation on what that means, go listen to Prince, listen to Phil Collins, one of our older podcasts. We will we'll break down what the meaning is behind that. Yeah, this this one is, you know, this was made for him. This was made for this was made for and his masturbatory fantasy. I mean, this was this is it's when I think of this is his band. Like Absolutely. Helen and David Lee Roth is that this is all him. Yep. Like that, that's when I was like listening to all these songs, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember. I remember. I, the, the reason, like, it brings me back to like, you know, when we used to, <laughs> we used to party up in, uh, you know, attic of his garage, um, you know, all the way down to the, the weirdly, um, you know, erotic David Lee Roth yes. poster he had in his bedroom. Yes, he did. He, he had the one with him in the black chaps and holding a black whip. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I forgot about the whip. I remember, remember the pose. Remember, he was yeah. he was shirtless, yeah. like with his head back, and it was he, just a uh, like a yeah, shot had, of his hairy chest. Yeah, the S and M David Lee Roth poster, <laughs> and it was above his bed. It was fucking awesome, <laughs> and like there was no question about like why he had it. Like he, he had it there because he he idolized David Lee Roth as a super sex machine, and that's like that that was like his, part of his identity. Um, so this this whole uh, fantasy um, lineup is is uh, is for him. All right. So who you got for for fantasy? So I've got Motley Crue leading off 
Okay. Uh, the Dr. Feelgood album. I saw that tour. Yeah, we're going to sandwich that in with uh, Van Halen. And I, w- I would say that he would probably want to see Van Halen in their earlier days. I think he was more of a Van, like obviously for sure a David Lee Roth fan. He was still, you know, allegiant to them as as, uh, as Van Hagar came around. Uh, but like his true love is, is David Lee Roth. And so... The 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 leg the, the third leg of that show is going to be David Lee Roth's skyscraper tour. Oh, I like that. I like the fact that we're doing it from Buck's perspective too. Uh, from my perspective, only only for the yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> from my perspective, I'm I'm going with 1984 because I got to see 1984. I got to see Dave in his heyday. While I would like to see 5150, I got to go with 1984. And then throw in Journey and Boston. And I think that rounds it out for me. Mm, mm. I'd love to see Boston live. Brad Delp. What also is a great, going back to like these guys are dicks, you know, um, they tore apart like some hotel room, I forget where, and they were touring with Journey and they blamed on their fucking Journey first. <laughs> right? Can you imagine fucking Neil Schoen taking that shit? <laughs> Him and his big afro? What the fuck is this on this bill? <laughs> yeah, he gets a, a $20,000 hotel bill. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's funny. They blamed it on Jeremy. <laughs> what a bunch of pricks. All right, what you got for number two? Number two is from 84, 1984. I like it because it starts out with its, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen is a very good musician, and he knows what sounds good. So he sends, he starts this one out with a very melodic kind of uh, arpeggiated chord and then, like, kicks into this really, really hammering, like, riff drive. And then David Lee Roth's lyrics are, are pure testosterone dripping from the microphone. Um, drop Dead Legs. <laughs> song is cool yeah very cool tune you actually have the the next one too because you pinched my two and my one my number two was unchained by the way the working title for unchained was hit the ground running which is what they sing after they say unchained oh yeah they do yeah i never really paid attention to the lyrics so much because it didn't seem like a very uh, a deep song no it was just it was really it was really cool and it was a different type of sounding song like you know at that at that time it was just I don't know. It's something different about it. Um, I think it was that banter between the, the like the talking banter between uh, Roth and the producer. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah. And he did it. He's just such a cool guy, <laughs> you know, or his persona is cool. Again, like I've seen him in several, several different uh, interviews. I wouldn't want to spend 10 minutes with him, but his persona is great. Like he just gives off the, this party dude. Like, like he's, he's perfect for the age. Uh-huh. Yeah. A perfect counterbalance to the seriousness of Prince and, you know, even Madonna sure. had it. Uh, Michael Jackson certainly was in a different stratosphere. And these guys were right up in there. They were in that stratosphere of popularity and, you know, th- their music was everywhere. Um, but they were kind of like, they were the counterbalance to all the, you know, the seriousness of it or the, the, you know, the artistry of the musicianship. They were just a party rock band. And that's where they came from. And they, I don't think they ever kind of let go of that. No. Which is great. That's why they are what they are. That's why those songs are like party songs. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I like those songs because I remember them at every party I was ever at. 
Yeah. And they're all like, you know, everybody is like, oh, you know, you all sing together and you chart, you know, it's... it's... It was the period piece of our high school days. It was, that was Van Halen, Mm -hmm. right? We had, Def Leppard came in a little later. You know, I had my own little relationship with Rush that I shared with just about nobody, with the possible exception of, and it took a while to get him on board too. But everybody liked Van Halen. Yeah. And it, it was easy to like. I mean, it's it, it's basic music. It's pumping. It's rocking. It's it's fun. Yeah. All right, what you got for number one? All right. My number one song um, actually comes from the OU812 album. Okay. Weirdly enough, because I don't think I owned this album. And when it came out in 87? 88. No, it came out pretty late. Um, it came out in 88. Um, so I was already like... Hysteria came out in 87, and that was it for me. It shut the lights off, everybody else go away. And then this this album came out, and I, I mean, I was aware of it for sure. It was a big deal album, and it, it was very popular. But I, I didn't get back, come back around to it until I was probably in my 40s. And uh, like, the, the song feels so good. is their best song their best it, it sounds the best it has the best kind of musicianship in it for me um he starts out with you know it's uh, the long run-up of the keyboards and i just i think i like it because there's so many different nuances in it that every time i hear it it's like oh yeah this is coming up so like when it goes into from the major to the minor key change and the run-up to the before the lyrics happen like i like that like those those small little nuances that are there for a half a second but they're there and they, they make a lot of difference in this song to me and i just i think that his his uh his his uh, guitars underneath um hagar's lyrics are perfectly placed um it's not him like no babbling all over the fucking place it's just him playing simple chord structure but it, it just it's a cleaner guitar sound it's not that heavy hard rock guitar sound which is you know fine for these other songs but this song is you know perfectly matched and i just like it did you say the name of the song or did i just tune out mentally yeah feel so good feel so good i think you heard ou812 and you blanked i might have (laughs) i put my blinders on and again it's 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 another one of those things where they put alex way down in the mix so he couldn't fucking ruin the song again and um, I don't know. I just like it. That that to me just stands out as the the one song that like when when Van Halen was like that song comes on, it's like oh that's that that's the best one of all the ones that I listened to. And I listened to their entire catalog all the way through um, for this pod because you know I knew them all. I'm like none of them really jumped out, and this one always does. Well, there you go. Then it's a suitable number one. I like to think so. You pitched my number one. I had Panama. So that brings us to your most hated. What's the worst? Oh, there's such a list. There's <laughs> such a list. There's so many times that Michael Anthony and or Alex just fuck this these songs up. And like, uh, so Somebody Get Me a Doctor was definitely on that list. And I, I had a harder time figuring out which song I fucking hated more than the ones that I liked more. But it came down to Jamie's Crying. full stop. I fucking can't stand that song. Oh, 
<laughs> the the vocals on that oh. are kind of odd. The oh whoa woes, yeah, it's it's all right. Yeah, and and you know his tom run. The brr, 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 uh, please, please stop. He loved the roto toms. You're not good. He loved the roto toms, <laughs> and man, did he ride them. Yeah, no, especially in the I'm like out. that 1984 and beyond era. You just heard a lot of rotos. There's too much of a good thing. Him in his green metallic vest, like you know, <laughs> popping on the roto tom. What a ugh, please. My worst. Love walks in. I hate that song. Oh, uh, really? They to, yeah, they tried to write a love song, and it just came off as syrupy crap. <laughs> That's Nicole's favorite song. My wife's favorite song. <laughs> well, be by sure far, to bring that up. she was so disappointed that 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 song didn't make my list. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, we're going to have speaks later. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, when she, going back to that song, um, I agreed with you. Um, she said, oh, how does how did how did that not make your list? And I said, because it's a fucking, it, it was a bad attempt at a bad love song. Oh, terrible. 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 And, but she's she's got very strange tastes in music. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> All right, what's your best four seconds? Oh, the best four seconds. Yeah, um... Oh, man, come back to me because I have it. Right. It's written down somewhere. Come back to me. You do yours. I have, I've got two. I have uh, the end of Best of Both Worlds, which I had said earlier, I really dig that uh-huh. ending when they, they kind of run it up in unison. And... I also have, and I think this is just a great, great little piece of, of DLR. It's the the end of Hot for Teacher when he yells, oh my God, and they go into the guitar drop and then totally trash the ending. That's a fun way to close out what was a really good song. Great song. Yeah. Great great video. Waldo. Oh, totally. That that you know, that 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 might that that's going to be in my 4 seconds. Like David Lee Roth as a bus driver giving them that big ass <laughs> smile. Sit down, Waldo. Sit down, Waldo. Fucking great. <laughs> I identified with Waldo a lot. Yeah, I think, I think we all did to a certain degree. <laughs> Oh, mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's the MVP here? Well, let me give you my four seconds. Ago. I found oh, it. Sorry. I, I love, love, love the, the, uh, the synth intro to I'll Wait. And then as the synth intro ends, um, there's that bass note that comes in, and then it, it kind of syncopates also. And then uh, they start the song. But that, that intro, I love that. I love that, like, kind of dancing around the keys. It's really good. He's talented. 
And I like the fact that Michael McDonald most certainly wrote that. And if, if it's not true, I'm making it true now because that's his writing credit. <laughs> I still want to hear him on backing vocals. Actually, it's not the organ. I think that's him singing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's the MVP? Oh, Dave's libido. Yeah. But that's not fair because I did that before. I think I did with Prince too. Yep. Prince's sex yep. drive. So uh, that, I don't think that's that's too fair. I had um, I had a hard time with this one. That that there's a lot to unpackage here, right? You can argue, you can argue Eddie from his guitar skills and his songwriting, but clearly both Dave and Sammy had you know big impacts on what was written. Yeah, they did. You could argue their hunger for vices and women had something to do with the product that they put out there. In the end. I think I have to go, and this is going to sound stupid, but I have to go with their ability to kind of put you in a happy place, right? They they communicated and expressed this sort of air of fun without making you feel like you were watching The Wiggles, you know, or, or a kid's show. The videos were all self-effacing. They were full of, you know, goofy kicks and struts and ass shaking. Yes. But they still pulled off this almost Zeppelin-esque kind of coolness and sexiness that appealed a lot to 12-year-old me. I really wanted to be DLR. Oh, for sure. And I think that's, like, for me, it comes back to, like, like he is is the MVP of this band even after Van Hagar starts. Because without David Lee Roth fronting this band... I don't think they're Van Halen. I don't think they're as big as they are because you look at their catalog of songs, you know, with him, it's like, you know, they're good. They're fine. They're okay. They're, they might be ACDC, but maybe not even ACDC, you know, um, because their catalog is deep and, and rich, but it's just like David Lee Roth just put them out in front and just like everybody had to look at them. And it was, you're right. It's, that's all it was. It was just fun. It was good music and it was fun. And those two combos together, it's like, it's not like, you know, Motley Crue at the time was also having their run. But when you listen to Motley Crue songs, it's like, oh shit, these guys will fucking kick your ass. Like, this, they're, they're kind of serious about like being hard asses. And it's like, you know, it's like, I don't want to listen to music that gets me jacked up to go fight every, all the time, right? And Van Halen just didn't do that. Like, good music. It's, it's fun party music. And, uh, you know, nobody's going to beat the shit out of you while listening to, like, Ain't, ain't Talking About Love, <laughs> right. you know? Hey, in the, in the you know, the DLR-Sammy debate, it's Dave or Grave. There are no <laughs> other choices. That's all you get. I mean, he, Hagar did exactly what he was asked to do. Take a, take a thoroughbred horse, mid-Kentucky Derby, and get it across the finish line. Yeah, and he did. And, and he did And that. he did it well. Yeah, he didn't fuck it up. He didn't run it into the rail. He didn't, you know, try to... He just, he, he crossed the finish line, you know, and, and they did really, they put out really three really, I would say two really good solid albums, 5150 and OU812. And then the four on the, you know, the, the fuck album, you know, I wasn't a big fan of it, but you know, there were big, they had giant songs. Yeah, they did. That, like top of the world. They had big hits. Right now, those songs were huge. Was that the, the album where one of the songs made it into the movie Twister? I think it was. If it wasn't, it was the one after that. But and it was a really yeah, like maybe. brief sort of appearance in the movie. It wasn't like uh like the theme of the movie, but maybe. But the I think the NBA picked up right now and I think the Olympics also did. I mean it was a they were huge. <sighs> and and then their best of their their best Alv albums, the best of Van Halen one and, and I think there was a second one with 
um, you know, one one with DLR, one with Hagar. Those things were gigantic. Oh, those guys were wildly successful. I mean, uh, Eddie was described as owning a fleet of Lamborghinis. Now, yeah. I don't know how many Lamborghinis are in a fleet, but I'm guessing it's more than three. <laughs> with an average, you know, with an average selling price of what a quarter million. I don't know what a Lamborghini runs, but Easy. crazy. Sure. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, like you're, you you hit it exactly right. Like these guys were a fun time to listen to it, and you really weren't in a bad mood when you you know it, it, they didn't have any moody songs. They weren't just they just weren't that band, right, right. and that's that's perfectly fine for, you know, they filled a niche for the '80s that was exactly perfect for them. I have I just thought about this. I've kind of a, a humorous story on on Van Halen. So in high school, do you remember a teacher named? I remember the name. Yeah. Never had him. He, he taught English. And I was I was buddies with a guy, and uh, I, I'm hesitant to name the guy. I just named Mr. So I suppose it doesn't really matter. But I'm hesitant, hesitant to name people who I haven't talked to and can defend me naming them in a podcast. So we'll just call the guy JF. Buddies with a guy named JF, and he and I were sitting, we, we sat next to each other in Mr. class, and we were assigned to write a poem and Mr. told us he was going to randomly pick people to read the, the poems aloud in front of the class. And so it was the day that the, the poems were due. We're sitting there, and he picks JF. And JF and I are buddies. We both know we're Van Halen fans. He turns to me and he, as he's standing up, and he says, You're going to like this. And he starts reading, I am a victim of the science age, a child of the storm. I can't remember what I was Atomic Punk. <laughs> and he just copied the entire song verbatim. That's awesome. Thought it was like really deep. He was like, yeah. Oh, swoop. This is good stuff. He was a smoker and he tried to cover it up with Tic Tacs. So he always rattled when he walked. And, <laughs> you know, he, he start, started applauding at this point. You, you hear him clapping, but you hear his Tic Tacs rattling too. So that's my Van Halen story. Uh, okay, that brings us to our vote. Uh, we have uh, ranked our bands in categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we vote on their catalog yep. and the songs that they've written. We vote on their talent level, and we vote on their cool factor. For their catalog, I'm going to give them a 3.8. Okay, and for their catalog, I've given them a 3. Okay. For their talent level, I'm giving them a 4.6. And I did a 3.5. All right. And their cool factor, I gave them a 4.8. That's that's high to me. Well, I, I discounted them by two-tenths of a point for Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen. Because really, you've got, you've got one of the biggest guitarists really to hit the stage uh, in in a band in that era and you've got the front man with the great hair and the kicks and the personality. 
Yeah, but that front man, you know, was also a Sammy Hagar who was never as cool as David Lee Roth, and that front man also was Gary Sharon. So, like, you know, and and from I I should probably recalculate <laughs> this, or at least state that this is largely okay. focused <laughs> on DLRs, the 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 Van Halen, Van Halen, not Van Hagar, and who yeah, the fuck sure. is Gary Sharon, and why are they talking to him <laughs> about fronting this band? Unbelievable. <laughs> Cutting an album with him too. Garbage. GH3. Uh, my cool factor was four, and it's all DLR. Uh, it's all DLR, and and a little bit of Eddie's uh, guitar playing. Like like I said, I think I, his guitar playing is fine. He's a, he's a talented musician. I just don't think he's the best of his generation. I just you know he he did a couple of interesting things, but not nothing that anybody else wasn't doing. Like Satriani's Surfing with the Alien album pretty much puts all that to rest, and it was only two years later. Um, so um, I gave them a four for Cool Factor. So Keurig's average score for uh, Van Halen was a 4.4. Mine was a 3.5, giving us a composite average of 3.95, which puts Van Halen fourth on the list, wedged right in between Def Leppard at a four and Rush at a 3.3. All right, there we go. So, uh, folks, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, and if you feel the desire to submit a suggestion as to what we should uh, talk about next, feel free to do so. I don't know that we're going to be able to take all those because it's tough to have a top five list of your favorite songs from a band you don't know. But we will certainly take any suggestions under consideration. Uh, Nick, what's our Twitter handle? Right, and our Twitter handle is at... The number two, idiots and a list, all one word. So that's at the number two, idiots and a list. We will also have a publicly available playlist on Spotify that includes all of the music that you've heard on this pod and all the other ones that we've done. So uh, appreciate you listening to us. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we'll be back with some more. Thank you.